All right, welcome everyone. Uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Mia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you. I feel really supported by you. Okay, let's open in a prayer. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. Um, I thank you for waking us up and bringing us here. Um, I thank you for Advent and reminding us that today is new, that you want to make us new. Lord, I thank you for everybody in this room, for their commitment to hope and freedom, yeah, their desire and interest in, in learning more, their openness to being healed by you, even though it's scary sometimes. Lord, I ask that you speak through me and through grace. Let these be your words. In your most holy name, Jesus. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, so in deciding what I wanted to talk about, I was debating between a certain story and a Bible passage. And I decided on this story. So I'm just going to share the share it a little bit in the beginning, and then I'll share a little bit more at the end. And this is a story that I've carried with me throughout my whole healing journey. So this is the story of the little red lizard from C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. I saw coming towards us a ghost who carried something on his shoulder. What sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard, and it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. As we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. Shut up, I tell you, he said. It wagged its tail and continued to whisper to him. He ceased snarling and presently began to smile. Then he turned and started to limp westward, away from heaven. Off so soon, said a voice. The speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man, and so bright that I could hardly look at him. His presence smote on my eyes and on my body too. There was a heat coming from him as well as light, like the morning sun at the beginning of a tyrannous summer day. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for all your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. I told this little chap, here he indicated the lizard, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. Of course, his stuff won't do here, I realize that but he won't stop. I shall just have to go home. Would you like me to make him quiet, said the flaming spirit, an angel, as I now understood. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Ah, look out, you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a further question. I'm quite open to consider it, but what's the point? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it, because up here, well, it's so damned embarrassing. May I kill it? Well, there is time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it's gone to sleep on its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks ever so much. May I kill it? Get back, you're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so. Why, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. So I'm here today to share the journey of healing regarding body image and disordered eating. This is a story that I've never actually shared, but one that I'm very honored to tell. So a little bit of background about my life. 
Um, I grew up in a very loving household with very attentive parents, which I'm really grateful for. Um, my dad would always tell me that he's proud of me. My mom would always tell me that I'm beautiful. And these are still things that I hear to this day. Unfortunately, my mom didn't always talk about herself in the same way that she talked about me. She would talk pretty negatively about her body. She'd always make comments about her weight and what she was eating, and she was always on a diet when I grew up. I have two older sisters, and they eventually took on the same type of language to describe themselves and their eating habits. And eventually, I did too, because it was all I knew. I figured if they think something's wrong with their bodies, there must be something wrong with mine too. So I've organized my life into three phases for this story. Struggling against freedom, pursuing freedom, and then eventually finding freedom. First is struggling against freedom. Children should be carefree, happy, making friends with everyone, and worrying only about what their favorite color is. Um, although these things were true for me, when I was a child, again, I distinctly remember my mom being on a diet and thinking maybe I should try something differently too. My first self-conscious thought was at the age of five. I was in kindergarten. I didn't think much of it because although I had a pretty negative view of my body, I thought that these thoughts were normal and I didn't know any different. Then I began growing up, and when I was bullied in elementary school, I was told that my best friend didn't like me because I was too fat. And then middle school rolled around and I just wanted people to like me. And then I entered high school, and I joined cheerleading and dance, two extremely body and appearance focused sports. I compared myself to my teammates all the time. If you guys haven't noticed, I'm a very tall woman. I'm 5'8", and I was 5'8 in high school. And my body is proportionate to my height, but when I was in high school, all I saw was that I was in a larger uniform than my 5'2 teammates. Also in high school, I got a boyfriend for the first time ever, and he was a wrestler who was trying to cut weight for meats all the time. And suddenly I felt like I had to be conscious of how much I was eating too. I was racing to keep up with perfect grades and I put too much pressure on myself to be the perfect daughter. And all of it was just much, far too much. My sophomore year of high school, I was 16 years old, and this was the first year that I restricted myself from eating. Flash forward to my senior year of college, I was about to embark on a huge adventure that required many transitions, graduating and becoming a missionary. I was preparing to leave my best friends, the first place that felt like home since moving away from Minnesota, and start a new job in a new city with new people. I couldn't control the rug for being swept out from under me, and so I grasped at control the only way that I knew how, by restricting myself again. I'd skip meals, I'd drink coffee instead of eating, and overall, it made me extremely unhappy, tired, and moody. Fortunately, I lived with my best friend, Allie, and she noticed that I had become very unwell. She was actually the one who encouraged me to try going to therapy. So I've called this section of my life struggling against freedom, because that's exactly what I did. I said that I didn't want to go to therapy because I didn't think it would work, but really I was just afraid of healing. I'd become so comfortable in my slavery to disordered eating that the thought of a long and painful healing process seemed far too daunting, just like the ghost with the little lizard on his shoulder. I also didn't know who I'd be without this body image struggle. This had been the thing that I was most comfortable with, hating my body. By the grace of God and by my very supportive friends, I somehow ended up joining a therapy group specifically for women struggling with their relationship with their body. And I found great comfort in speaking to women who understood what I was going through. I felt heard, and for the first time, I didn't feel crazy. And I began to realize that maybe full healing actually was possible for me. 
This one therapy group launched me into my second phase of life, which I'm calling pursuing freedom. So after I moved to Chicago, I knew that I needed to take ownership of my healing so that I could give a true self-gift to the people that I was walking with. I learned about a group for female missionaries struggling with body image and disordered eating, and I committed to attending those meetings weekly. And this group gave me the courage to open up to my teammates about my struggle and ask the women for help in keeping me accountable. Grace and Jamie were really good friends to me throughout this whole process. They would make sure that I ate three meals a day. They'd eat with me and they would check in on me on particularly stressful days because they knew that I might be struggling. These two women loved me so boldly, yet so gently at the same time. And they never overstepped and they always allowed me to take the ownership. I also started going to regular confession and spiritual direction for the first time in my life. And I was aware that my self-hatred was in direct opposition to the truth that God made me perfect and loves me exactly as I am. I would bring my struggle with self-worth to Jesus in the confessional. And for the first time, I allowed him to love me there in the parts of myself that I was the most ashamed of. I gave up makeup and my body mirror during Lent, my first year as a missionary, in an effort to be less distracted by my negative thoughts about myself and to see myself truly the way that God sees me. Um, I was consistent with these avenues of healing And eventually, I began to notice a change in my interior disposition. This brings me to phase three, finding freedom. So there was a time last spring when I was getting ready for the day, and I was checking my outfit in the mirror. And I remember just realizing that I actually liked the person looking back at me. Not just the way that I looked, but I actually liked me, which I hadn't experienced in a really long time, probably since I was four or five years old. And that was the first time last spring that I realized that this whole journey of healing was actually working, that God was actually answering my prayers and that he was moving. Even though it wasn't just a night and day difference, um, he was actually healing me. And now I'm more confident than I've ever been in my entire life. Um, I'm very firm in my belovedness and I truly believe that I'm beautiful because God made me in his image and likeness. And because I believe that, I have the desire to treat my body well by fueling it every single day and giving it what it needs, which is food and rest and play. Of course, I still struggle at times with old thought patterns, but I do have a solid plan in place to help me move forward towards freedom. I've also been able to help other women who struggle with the same thing I did. And even giving this testimony proves to me how much God has changed me. Because if you asked me my first year if I'd be up here, I probably would have laughed and then cried and said no. So if I could sum up this whole story, my whole story, into three main takeaways, they would be these. The first is that there will never be a a convenient time to pursue healing. You just have to start somewhere. All I had to do is take one step and then just take one more after that. So there will never be a convenient time to pursue healing. The second is that healing is only possible in the context of communion. This is communion with other people, yes, but this is ultimately communion with God. It is important to have trusted people in your life, but you ought to take ownership of your own healing. The third is that freedom is actually possible, even if you can't even imagine what that would be like. I was so comfortable in my slavery, like I said, that I didn't even know that this version of myself was possible. But I wish I did. I think I would have started sooner. And the most impactful decisions that I made that began this journey were one, opening up to trusted friends, seeking good community, Two, deciding to go to group therapy, actually seeking professional help. And three, was bringing my struggle with self-worth to confession 
and having an honest conversation with God. So to close, I just want to read the last part of this story from C.S. Lewis. Have I your permission? The angel said to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did? You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then I may. Damon blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended whimpering, God help me. God help me. Next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I had never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed, and then flung it, broken-backed on the turf. Ow, that's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backwards. For a moment, I could make out nothing distinctly. Then I saw, between me and the nearest bush, unmistakably solid, but growing every moment solider, the upper arm and shoulder of a man, then brighter and still stronger, the legs and hands. The neck and golden head materialized while I watched, the actual completion of a man, an immense man, naked, not much smaller than the angel. What distracted me was the fact that, that at the same moment, something seemed to be happening to the lizard. At first I thought the operation had failed. So far from dying, the creature was still struggling and even growing bigger as it struggled. And as it grew, it changed. Its hinder parts became rounder. The tail, still flickering, became a tail of hair. Suddenly, I started back, rubbing my eyes. What stood before me was the greatest stallion I had ever seen. Silvery white, but with mane and tail of gold. It was smooth and shining, rippled with swells of flesh and muscle, whinnying and stamping with its hooves. At each stamp, the land shook, and the trees trembled. Whatever it is that you need freedom from, the Lord doesn't want you to just quiet it down. He wants to take it and transform it into something even greater than before. He truly wants to make you new, and I believe that my story is proof that it's actually possible. Thanks so much, Olivia. (laughs) So, yeah, we wanted to do Olivia's story first um, to start with the hope, right? We we were brainstorming, like, what to call this like series and there was like lots of different like flashy titles but really like young at the end of the day was like what if we just call it hope and freedom and we're like that sounds great you know um we just like wanted to be clear like that we want you to have hope and pursue freedom in being here and so i just want to first like call out um those that are here today that like showed up um and took a chance to to choose this for yourself today um because the lord will, will bless it so thanks for being here so yeah i think in the next few moments i hope to kind of summarize like what we've talked about the last few few weeks, and then some next steps for you, because this is the last session, and so just to hopefully empower you to take the next step in your journey. Um, two things kind of stuck out for me from what Olivia was saying, is that it's a, a journey, like this whole thing, your life, healing, holiness, it's a journey, um, and this is just one day of it, right? And so <laughs> I love Father Connor Tomley when he was like talking about like it's overwhelming to do things sometimes because we don't know where to start and that's what we hope to do here is to to acknowledge that there's one next step that you can do you're not supposed to do it all at once and that that's the devil's trying to get in and silence you and make you feel shame so yes and then yeah some next steps for you as we move on so yeah I think I've been to almost all of the hope and freedom sessions I missed the, the one last time but the word that always comes to mind when I when I talk about these things is communion um, and, and Via mentioned that a little bit as well, and Father Connors used that word a lot, um, but the word communion and just like how important it is, in fact, like integral um, to, to our healing. 
I have tried in my own story to do things by myself a lot. I think we all have tried that, right? Um, and we think we can just go up by ourselves and, and, and heal and, and fix enough that that will be fine um, and manage it on our own. But spoiler alert, it doesn't really work <laughs> and um, it won't ever work. And, and that's the way that it's supposed to work, right? God made us this way to depend on him and depend on others. And that's the point. And so we're made for communion with him first off and with each other and with ourselves, right? I think that's what's so beautiful about Via's story. Like there was this disorder of communion with herself that like the Lord desired to, to heal. Um, and so that's like what he wants for us. Disorder, order with ourselves, others, and him. And, and then also there's the tree that Father Connor has like talked about almost a lot of the time, the security, maturity, purity. Or is it, which, that's right, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, I'll pick that right. Um, but the tree, like what we're, we're made for is security, our roots like rooted in God and others and ourselves, which results in this growth of the tree, maturity, and then bearing purity, pure fruit, right? Um, like we're known by our fruit. We like want to, to bear good fruit and to be pure, but it doesn't just like start with the fruit. It starts with these roots, right? And so it's like all integrated, um, which I think is just really helpful to like know that. And so, yeah, I think just as a reminder, as we like begin or like as we take the next step is that God is the ultimate healer. Like he's the one that does it all. And when we try to do it ourselves, it doesn't really work. And he will reveal our next steps. I think for me, I love next steps and I love like the way forward, but I don't always get to know it, right? Because I'm not God. Um, and I, a lot of times when I'm looking at my life, the mess of it, and I like don't know the, the way forward, often what the Lord is asking me to do is to trust him, that he will like show me the next thing, that he will like be with me, that he will not abandon me. And so the Lord is not abandoning you. He is always with you and he will show you what you need to know as you need to know it. And it starts with grace, right? Everything is a gift, um, but we can cooperate with grace or not, <laughs> right? Um, we can choose to cooperate with, with the Lord's grace and we can provide spaces for him to work in our life right? Everything is a choice. It starts with God, but we can respond to him. And so that doesn't mean that God's going to just do it all. He like wants us to cooperate with him. And that's like why we're here. That's like why you're sitting here. You like want to cooperate with his grace. So that's like really beautiful. And he like will not abandon you. So we're going to start and we're just going to walk through your first, this first sheet on your, um, your uh, tables. Um, and it's what's called a freedom plan. <laughs> Woo! And before I like kind of explain it, I just like want to like share like why I'm so passionate about this plan. As I've like mentioned, like I love the way forward and I like love having concrete next steps. I like love having like a plan, which sometimes gets me in trouble, but it is helpful um, also um, because I, I heard something recently of like, if you have no plan, you have nothing to offer the Lord, right? Like he will do it no matter what, but if you like take a step in the, the direction of, okay, Lord, this is what I want to offer you and I'm going to surrender to your will, like um, he can like help us and like move forward. So the hope in this is not to say, if you don't have a plan, you're not going to be healed. That is not what I'm saying. Um, this is just another tool for you to help you grow. Um, a tool in your toolbox, if you will. I don't know what the Lord has in store for you. I trust that he's working in your life. This is just a tool for you to, to help you in that. Um, so by no means am I saying that this is like the end all be all, but I'm just like really passionate about it because it's helped me a lot. And so I'll just share that with you and then take it or leave it, right? You are very free to take it or leave it. So I'm just going to go through what this is. <laughs> and then on the back, there's like a, a blank one for you if you want to fill it out. But basically, I love these because it's very holistic. Um, and it just reminds me that our body and our soul are connected. Um, and so in the middle um, is what we call compulsive behaviors. And so there's definitions on, on this sheet as well. So if you read the, the top left, it says compulsive behaviors are addictive behaviors that trap us in sin continuously lead us away from relationship with God and others and into isolation. Um, so I, I just love that definition because it, uh, the word that I love, I don't love it, but the word that's helpful is isolation there, right? Like these behaviors in the middle are that lead us to isolation. Um, and a lot of them 
um, are mortal sins that like cut us off from God and isolate us from God um, and when we choose him or we choose against him, right? And so, yeah, like we're not made for that, right? That's why they're in the middle. <laughs> we can like very clearly like link what we're not made for with like these behaviors that we're addicted to um, because we choose isolation and we like don't pursue communion um, or we don't believe that we can. And so I just like, that really like gives me a lot of solace of, yeah, I'm not made for these things, right? That's like why they're in the middle, um, but there's like a way forward, right? So yeah, compulsive behaviors are in the middle, mortal sins, um, addictions, um, and, and maybe like you're not really struggling with a, a natural, actual sin, but what are the things in your life that you, that you do, but that are not good for you, that you know that you shouldn't do, but when it cho- like comes to choosing them, you do them anyway. Like, what are those things, right? Um, so maybe there's not a moral sin that you're struggling with right now, but yeah, what are those things that you do in your life that you know are not good for you? Those are also things that like, I would encourage you to, to maybe put in that middle circle. Compulsive behaviors, things we choose. Addictive behaviors. So that's the middle circle. Um, and then the second circle is what we call triggering behaviors. So if you look at the definition mm-hmm. for that, it says, while not always explicitly sinful, triggering behaviors inevitably lead us to compulsive and sinful behaviors and draw us into isolation. Yeah, as we like expand from the middle, um, there's these things that we either choose or that we put ourselves into that often result in these behaviors that we don't want to do. So um, if you look, yeah, it's feeling unsafe, explicit music, going to bars and parties to escape feelings, phone in your bedroom, scrolling, um, all these like things that aren't necessarily sinful by themselves, but like will often lead to more isolation. And this is honestly, <laughs> this kind of sounds weird, but it's like kind of my favorite circle mm-hmm. um, because I learn a lot about myself here. Um, the longer that I've like been in healing and like working towards like freedom, the more I like acknowledge what's triggering to me that like helps me like make better choices. <laughs> um, because yeah, the, the, the thing that I don't want to do that I'm addicted to, I like when that comes to it, I know that I don't always free to choose those things or I, I feel like I have to choose them. Right. But the triggering stuff, I have way more like power over of like, I could put my phone in a different place. I could not listen to that music. I can like not go to that party that night. Or I could text a friend instead, right? Like, I, I was like, okay, I can, like, choose those things more freely than maybe the compulsive behaviors. And as I learn about myself, that's, like, really helpful to me. And so I, like, I encourage you to think about those things as, like, helpful, like, tools as you're, like, digging through your life and, like, the Lord reveals them to you because um, you don't always know them, right? You'll be revealed to them over time. But they're, like, little, like, helpful little clues for us um, to, like, learn, like, who we are and, like, what we're like and, like, kind of what, like, is, is hard for us. Yeah, maybe going home with family is really hard. Maybe um, a certain friendship is really hard. Um, maybe our like schoolwork is really hard. Like those things help us to understand ourselves. They're like actually tools for us to grow. Um, and so when they inevitably happen, we can help ourselves grow in freedom, right? Because we can't avoid all these things all forever. You can't sit in a box in a little puffy box by yourself and never do anything bad. That just like doesn't happen, right? We're called to like be human and live our life. Um, but knowing what triggers us, what sets us off and leads us into isolation, helps us to choose communion more. Um, so, yeah, I just, like, invite you to have holy curiosity here as you're, like, thinking about these things. And then the last circle is what we call life-giving behaviors, the definition on the bottom. So it says, actions or activities that help you grow and live in freedom, often relational. These behaviors encourage and stimulate our desire to grow in union with God, family, and friends. Yeah, Via kind of mentioned these at her testimony the last, the last bit. Spiritual direction and confession, therapy, um, and talking to crusted friends. Those, like, were her life-giving behaviors that she had. Um, and so this is like the antithesis or the antidote to isolation is communion. And so all these things that we have listed here are like things that inspire communion. Gratitude, play, writing letters, prayer in the sacraments, life-giving, calling your friends, counseling, journaling, good boundaries, right? So these are just examples to help us get thinking. But the reality is like you will have ones that are for you. These are a great place to start. And as you grow, you will learn what you need. 
the hope is that these things, when you like think of them and when you can put them down, are things you can look at and say, okay, maybe I have a triggering behavior, but like, how can I do a life-giving behavior next? Like, how can I choose something that was going to be helpful for me? So maybe instead of scrolling on my phone for 10 minutes, I'm going to call a friend when I'm in a really bad spot. Um, how can I take ownership and choose the life-giving behavior, choose communion, and relate that to God? Um, one thing that Father Connor did in his homily that I think was like really beautiful was when he led us to that prayer like exercise. That like that is a conscious choice to just like let the Lord into that place, right? That's like a life giving behavior. You could have gone two ways with that. What was the first thing that you said? Like, I don't know how to pray. Or I'll pray tomorrow. Yeah, I'll pray tomorrow. Just put it off. I'll just isolate myself further. Or like, God, I want to pray. Like, teach me how to pray. That's like the choice, right? Uh, and that's communion. <laughs> and that's like what's really beautiful about that. And so, yeah, we can just like, as we grow and learn, we can, we can learn more times where we can choose these things. And that's what we're made for. And it's going to be messy, <laughs> right? Like, I just like want to like put that out there. Like, this is not going to be clean. Okay, now I have a plan. My life will just straight shoot. That's like not real. <laughs> but that's because God works outside of this and he has a plan for us. And so, again, like these things, like life-giving behaviors, hopefully will help us in moments where we can choose to choose communion in relationship with, with ourselves, God, and others. Um, so that's kind of explaining it a little bit. Um, and then on the back of that sheet is a blank one for you to use if you so choose. Maybe this freedom plan is not your next step. Maybe this is just like so overwhelming for you that you don't even know how to, but I want you to feel confident in the next step for you. So let's pray. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for communion. Thank you for your cross, your resurrection, your promise of recreation. Lord, I just thank you for it. And I ask for the conviction that it is a true promise that you want to make us new, that you want to make us into a brilliant stallion. You want to make us into yourself, actually. Um, that's the promise, is to be like you, Jesus. And so I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to remind us of that. Um, help us have courage to ask you to come. Invite us into your hearts. I invite you into our heart. Lord God, we love you. We praise you, and we just thank you. We lift up this time as we dare to call you our Father, as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Father, Son, 